<laughs> Good morning and welcome to Monday Mornings with Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie and I'm Morgan. Good morning. Good morning. Happy first Monday of 2021. Yeah, happy new year. I'm so excited that 2020 is over. Same. <laughs> we made it. Oh, so I mean, little... we still have pretty far to go, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so a little bit of a disclaimer. Morgan just moved, so she might be a little echoey. Yes, there's no furniture in my house right now. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully everything's good, but don't yell at us. Um... <laughs> don't come at me, bro. Uh, this week, we would like to discuss um, the effects that Jimmy Neutron had on the croissant industry. <laughs> Just kidding. kidding. <laughs> At our suggestion. <laughs> that was a requested topic by my cousin. Thanks, bud. <laughs> I figured it was someone you knew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... We basically have only two episodes out. This is our third. And two very long episodes. We yes. apologize. <laughs> We're so sorry about the ski and snowboard episode. but <laughs> We hope you liked it if you listened anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we kind of decided that you might not know anything about us unless if you are our friend or family member. <laughs> Which you probably are, but in that case, you probably only know one of us. Yeah. So, we want to tell you a little bit about ourselves. Yeah, so a bit about our background, how we know each other. Um, Me and Morgan met on a cold, windy night. and (laughs) (laughs) In the lovely basement. Basically. (laughs) No. (laughs) I feel like we probably met freshman year through our good pal, Carly. Hey, Carlos. (laughs) Hey, Carlos. Um, But... We basically became friends when we ended up living together, so that was fun. Rest in peace to Davis. Yeah. Such a great place, uh, I guess. It was six girls in one house with a one and a half baths. Yeah. And we had two cats for a little while. Oh, and a rabbit. Oh, yeah. I had a fish at one point when we were there. Yeah, I had dude. You dude. Yeah. (laughs) It was a party. It was fun. So we both went to the University of New Hampshire. Um, I graduated in 2019 with a bachelor's of science in nutrition and wellness, and I also have a minor in public health. And I also went to the University of New Hampshire, obviously, because that's where I met Maddie. <laughs> and I graduated in 2018 with a bachelor's of science in wildlife and conservation biology. Yeah. yeah. So. How did we end up with a podcast? Well, (laughs) we are avid, avid podcast listeners. I do have to say. Yeah. So my podcast journey started a few years ago with, um, and that's why we drink, which is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. I love them. Give them a listen if you haven't. True crime, paranormal podcast. Lots of fun. They're really great people. But, oh, and Christine, one of the hosts, and her brother Alex also have a podcast called Beach Too Sandy, Water Too What about terrible Yelp reviews, and it makes me cry laugh every single episode. That one is also really, really good, and the episodes <laughs> are pretty short, so it's nice for, like... Unlike us. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready for four hours. Just kidding. Um... <laughs> I currently live in the Burbs outside of Boston, and I work as a barista right now. Um, It's not my career plan. I also do plan on going back to school to get my master's in public health soon, hopefully. And I, in the past, had an internship at University of New Hampshire for sexual wellness and well-being. And after I graduated, I worked for a little while teaching sexual education and personal responsibility. It was a um, like after school health course for kids in Manchester, New Hampshire, ages 14 to 21, depending on 
their situation. And that was a really awesome experience. But let me tell you a little bit about what it's like to study nutrition and public health and what you can do with those jobs. And I'm not going to, I'm going to try to refrain from getting too deep into nutrition things because I know I'm probably going to end up covering different fad diets at some point. I'm sure we'll have another nutrition-related episode. Yeah. Because you're a nutrition person, and I love food, and I love cooking, and I want nothing more than to talk about food all day. So, (laughs) Yes, I absolutely love to talk about food, so that works. Um, So I'm going to preface this with a little bit of a trigger warning just because I am talking about dieting and diets and diet culture a little bit, but obviously... I'm not for fad diets. I'm not for that intense amount of dieting because it's icky to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Screw your diet pills. Yeah. And your tea detoxes right. and shit. Um, I do have a really, I forgot to add this into my notes, but I do have a fun quote from a class I was taking. So one student asked our professor and said, um, something along the lines of, what about detoxes? Like, what about something along those lines? And the professor responded, well, you took an anatomy course, right? You should already know that the colon does that. Yeah, your um, body's built for it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> so what is nutrition? Nutrition is the science of how living organisms obtain and use food to support life. And food is classified as any substance consumed to provide nutritional support to the body. And foods are made up of different nutrients, which can be split into macro and micronutrients, which you may have heard of macros because a lot of people do diets where they count their macros and it can be useful. No idea what that is. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) I'll explain now. Macronutrients are needed in larger quantities. They include water, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, while micronutrients are needed in smaller quantities and consist of vitamins and minerals. So the main reason people count their macros is generally to make sure they're getting enough protein and everything in their diets, which is okay. A lot of um, bodybuilders or people who do lifting are trying to gain muscle mass, um, actively track their macros because they're really concerned about protein intake. Gotcha. Yeah. So the main, yeah, it's not bad until it's people being like, I need zero carbs and carbs are good. So carbs are good for your brain. (laughs) They make me happy. (laughs) (laughs) So the main function of nutrients are to regulate chemical reactions, contribute to cell and body structure and to supply energy. The amount of energy that a food can supply you with is measured in a unit of energy called calories. Ever heard of them? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> so a little fun fact, calories are good for you. You need them to literally survive. Um, so yes, you should be hitting that 2,000 calories a day for most people. Some people need a little bit more. Um very rarely do people need less. Uh, basically, any diet that tells you to cut down to 1,200 calories, it's not going to do you any good. That's just going to cause you harm. 1,200 calories is legitimately the amount that a toddler needs. And considering how small toddlers are, I can tell you you need more than that to exist as a full-grown human. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think it's better for most people to not count their calories and just kind of sense like, oh, am I full? Okay, I'll stop eating. Or no, I'm not full, so maybe I'll eat more. (laughs) Intuitive eating. Yes, intuitive eating, which I'm not going to talk about today, but I am going to mention a bunch of different Instagram accounts that I love and follow that really emphasis intuitive eating. So, the building blocks to a healthy diet are variety, moderation, balance, and adequacy. 
So like the famous saying, you can truly have everything in moderation, except for meth. Don't do math. <laughs> Don't do math, please. <laughs> Not even in moderation. So basically that like occasional pint of Ben and Jerry's or massive amount of cabbage cheddar that mm-hmm. we both consume um, probably just does more for your mental health than it would ever do for your overall health, like harm overall health in the long run. Like Can confirm. Yeah. So that... <laughs> Ben and Jerry's is going to make you happier than it's going to negatively affect you. So, <laughs> Main point of nutrition is studying like how a well-balanced diet and lifestyle can benefit a person's health as well as helping prevent some health issues. So there's lots of research in how a well-balanced and like well-rounded diet that's not too high in salts and saturated fats and a few other things that it's that's going to be a lot better for you and you're going to have a lower risk of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease and a whole lot of other comorbidities that go along with that so if you're eating a variety of foods and just trying to get a whole bunch of fruits and veggies on like an average day you're doing a great job if you're eating vegetables and the occasional whole grain and <laughs> not eating fast food every day, then you're probably doing okay. Ah, this is where I tell you that fad diets and most of those diets that you see on Facebook and Instagram are probably not going to work or they're going to work right away, but they're not sustainable in the long run. So why like the ketogenic diet, why would you want to cut out all of your carbs? So in the ketogenic diet, you can essentially eat bacon that's covered in mayo and then wrapped in a slice of cheese, which is so disturbing to me on so many levels. But the fact that they have such an emphasis on extremely high amounts of fat and really, really low amounts of carbs. I don't understand how that could be healthy for you. So... (laughs) This is a little bit of a tangent, but the ketogenic diet was originally created for kids with severe epilepsy that different medications weren't working for. And so they cut out like every form of carbohydrates. So even like fruits and veggies, because of the way that the fats affect your neurotransmitters, it caused less seizures in kids with a really high fat diet. Oh, but that's also really, really hard to continue. And also like it's for seizures, not for weight loss. Right. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, so carbs are essential to life and happiness, and I just don't understand who could ever give up beer or garlic bread. That's a good point. Yeah. And- <laughs> oh, garlic bread. Yeah, so when I was in college, my aunt is a dietitian. So I asked her one day, I texted her and was like, what is this keto diet? Like, everybody's posting about it everywhere. And she said, basically what I just told you about it and said, but I don't know, who would want to give up beer and birthday cake? (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Exactly. (laughs) Bingo. (laughs) But yeah, I basically just can't get too into fad diets because... Unless if it's a whole episode strictly about that, it's just going to be me screaming into the void about body positivity and how you shouldn't talk about your diets because it negatively affects those with eating disorders and body image issues. (laughs) Don't worry, you can rant to me about it later. Oh, yeah. But I will give you my quick little coconut oil spiel. So this is all, like, heavily researched, and this is a, like, facts strictly from a presentation that I made in college and got an A on, so. (laughs) (laughs) So coconut oil, like all other oils, is a fat, and it is made up of approximately 92% saturated fats. And saturated fats, (laughs) yeah, are solid at room temperature. So your coconut oil, your butter, your lard, um, (laughs) a few other things. I do love butter. Yeah, and butter is honestly like a lot better for you than coconut oil when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. So it's extremely high in saturated fats, and saturated fats are what increase both your good 
and bad cholesterol. So your good cholesterol is your HDL and your bad is your LDL cholesterol. But the percentage of saturated fats is so high in coconut oil that it raises your bad LDL cholesterols more than the good. When it comes to coconut oil, LDL levels are increased without any positive effects to balance out the negatives, which caused the American Heart Association to recommend avoiding coconut oil altogether. And that's not something really to take lightly. The American Heart Association wouldn't just tell you straight up not to eat something, even with red meats, they say, to just, like, cut them back and (laughs) limit them. Mm -hmm. So kind of a big deal but a high level of LDL cholesterol promotes the development of blockages in the arteries there's also a direct link between LDL and cardiovascular disease chest pains heart attack and stroke all bad things yes so why do I have beef with coconut oil (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) like I said earlier everything in moderation is okay but over the past few years there have been countless mommy blogs or health gurus or whoever swearing by coconut oil and just trying to shove it down people's throats and it is really good like topically like it's great if you have an extremely dry scalp I guess you can use it as a it's good for your skin yeah it's good for the outside but not great for your inside do not ingest no (laughs) so like I said it Everything in moderation is okay. Like, there is coconut oil in Ben and Jerry's, which gives me a lot of internal conflict. But, like... Every time I see coconut oil in something or in a recipe, I think of you. (laughs) Yeah. I just get a little sad because it's like, damn it, that's so much extra LDL cholesterol that I didn't need. Um, (laughs) But considering we live in America where the leading cause of death is cardiovascular disease it's safe to say that the average american should stick to butter over <laughs> cardi over coconut oil <laughs> and we always love supporting our local dairy farmers so yes so that's the end of my little coconut rant but at unh there were three different tracks you could take when it came to studying nutrition so i had the option of nutrition wellness dietetics or nutritional sciences And I chose wellness because I felt it had more career options for me, but really all three of them have so many options and they open up so many different doors to the healthcare field and food industry. So it's crazy because nutritional science is just food science and that comes into play when making like any foods basically. So some fun classes I was able to take was sports and exercise nutrition. So that was really cool because we got to learn what it's like to plan a diet for an athlete. So um, that's a really huge ask. So if you have friends that are nutritionists or dietitians, don't ask them to make you a meal plan for free. Um, It takes hours. (laughs) Pay your friends for what they do. Yes. No freebies. No. We took a cooking class that was through the hospitality department, which was actually really awesome. We got to have little chef uniforms, which were really fun. Yeah. (laughs) We got to make all this different crazy types of food. And then our final project was to cook a three-course meal. So it was an, an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. And we did that. And you had to take a recipe and modify it to make it have I think like a little bit less fat or sodium or sugar and it was actually a really fun and interesting way to see like what different foods you can substitute if you're trying to cut back different like grains or processed foods. That's a really good idea. Yeah it was actually really awesome and it's fun especially as a college student because you're like I can only make Annie's and then (laughs) you take a cooking class and you're like oh it's really not that hard to Mm -hmm. actually cook the I mean, you need to have the ingredients, but... (laughs) Well, yeah, but... Yeah. So, I also had to take a nutrition education and counseling course, which was interesting, because that's where we learned about how to literally teach people about nutrition and also how to counsel clients. Uh, Nutrition throughout the life cycle was really cool. It started at um, conception all the way through elderly care. Um, 
that one was really awesome. Community nutrition, which connected public health and nutrition to evaluate the needs of the community and using like best options to help. That uh, was really cool. That was one of my capstone courses. Uh, we had to write a grant proposal for a city in New Hampshire and I had Manchester wrote a whole grant about bringing farms or not farms like gardens into school systems and teaching kids how to farm and advocating for themselves to have fruits and veggies in areas that might not have a ton of access for that. And then my other capstone course, I was able to have a client of my own for a 10-week period where I met with them weekly and discussed their different nutrition and um, lifestyle goals and how they should achieve them. It was actually really awesome. I loved my client. Such a great person. (laughs) That's so nice. Yeah, it was really fun. So potential careers that you can get have through nutrition. I'm just going to list some of the ones that they posted on the UNH's nutrition page. Um, Because there are so many options through nutrition. So you can be a diabetes educator, a clinical dietitian, a dietary counselor. You can be an educator food product development scientist, hospital or care facility consultant, nutrition writer, public health nutritionist, registered dietitian, regulatory affairs specialist, researcher, sports dietitian, and wellness consultant. So, like I said, I also minored in public health, which I want to talk about a lot more in a future episode at some point. So I'm just going to give you a little blurb about what public health is, basically. So public health covers everything from seatbelt laws to managing the current COVID-19 pandemic. I decided to minor in public health after taking an intro to epidemiology course. Epidemiology is the study of the distribution of the determined and the determinants of health-related states and events in specific population. It's basically tracking diseases and other health-related events. So an example would be tracking the spread of COVID-19 in America or which areas have the highest instances of tobacco use. Um, Something that I talked about in literally every single one of my public health classes and even some of my nutrition classes There were 10 great public health achievements of the 20th century, so 1900 to 1999. First one is uh, like universal vaccination. So we now have a polio vaccination. (laughs) Smallpox is eradicated, like all these different things. We did a ton about vaccination, which is extremely great. Um, We'll have a vaccine episode too. Oh, yeah. Um, If you want to know a lot more about vaccines right now, there's a few episodes of This Podcast Will Kill You on vaccination, and they are both now doctors, but I think they're, is it an epidemiologist and an entomologist? Yes, but one of them is getting her MD. Yes. So it's a really, really cool field to be in and they discuss a whole lot of really cool different things but awesome podcast yes give it a listen so motor vehicle safety so like seat belts (laughs) Um, running into my microphone (laughs) oh no (laughs) okay continue (laughs) so improvements in motor vehicle safety so examples are seat belts car seats for kids, uh, motorcycle helmets, drink dra- drunk driving laws, um, all of those have helped in a decrease of motor vehicle-related deaths. Uh, increase in safer workplaces. Since the 1980s, workplace injuries have decreased significantly at approximately 40% in decrease in the rate of fatal occupational injuries usually in like manufacturing construction transportation and especially mining because you know black lung 
things. Uh, the control of infectious diseases was largely affected by clean water. Um, water also in beginning in 1945, they started adding fluoride to a drinking water, which played a huge role in preventing tooth decay and cavities in children and adults. There was more access to family planning, so there was more different options for contraceptives and treatment started for HIV and other STDs or STIs. And there was more screening to help create healthier mothers and babies. So there was other advances in hygiene and nutrition, antibiotics, basically everything over the past hundred years have gotten a lot better. Oh, and <laughs> the uh, FDA and USDA were like officially actually allowed to manage foods and food production and establishments. So those important. <laughs> yes. Okay, so potential careers in the public health field are epidemiologist. You can work in community health, consumer advocacy. You can work for government agencies. You can do healthcare data analysts, analysis, uh, health education, hospital administration. So, like working in corporate hospital staff, managed care, pharmaceutical companies, and you can be a public health lab director, I guess. Fun. Lots of different fun jobs throughout the world of public health, but too many. Like, just even picking a public health degree to get in for master's, there's, like, seven different options at each college, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, to finish up my little segment, since this is coming out right after New Year's, I wanted to talk about a few non-diet-related resolutions. Heck Yeah. So I got a few of these ideas from at find.food.freedom on Insta. So you should definitely make sure you're drinking enough water because that is important. Um, hydrate or dihydrate. Yes, definitely stay hydrated. Especially it's hard to stay hydrated in the winter because you're always so cold. So maybe drink like, I know when I was camping, we would drink like warm water with lemon in it. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time drinking enough water when I'm cold. Yeah, it's definitely a little hard, but tea also counts as a little bit of water. It's true. Um, so create boundaries with yourself and others. So practice saying no more if you say yes to everything. It is a pandemic. Allow yourself to stay home. You don't have to go out to eat if your friends ask you. You shouldn't. <laughs> and if you do, wear your freaking mask. Yes, and just a little update. Massachusetts, if you are going out to eat right now, you're required to wear your mask even while you're sitting at the table if you're not actively eating or drinking. And this is very important in protecting yourself as well as your server who comes into contact with so many maskless people every single day. So just do that one little thing to protect everyone around you. Be a good human. Yeah. Um, get enough sleep. Nobody gets enough sleep nowadays, or you get too much, but <laughs> I nap a lot. But if you can, try to make sure you can get around six to eight hours every night. Um, I know it's hard for some people, but try to make it a goal if you can. Speak kindly to yourself. It's. I once had somebody tell me that you should talk to yourself the way that you would if you were talking to yourself in the past. So if you're talking to, like, your younger self, what would you say? You wouldn't be mean to your younger self. Be nice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, and then finally, eat foods you enjoy. Um, I'm a huge advocate of if you really want something, go ahead and eat it because otherwise you're just going to end up sitting there sad that you're not having it and you're just going to crave it for even longer. Right, or so, you're going to eat something that you don't even want. <laughs> Yeah, so just go get yourself whatever it is, unless if it's, like, two in the morning and you're, like, craving something that's not even open, then, like, maybe just get a snack and go back to sleep, but... Or maybe just go back to sleep. 
but I'm also a huge advocate of like making these foods. So like I love mac and cheese, but if you make yourself a nice like home baked mac and cheese, it's honestly so good and you feel so great because you just cooked this cool meal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love cooking. I feel yes. like cooking really makes me appreciate food more. It is. There's a lot of like a little bit of research behind how like good it is for you to like cook and enjoy that meal with family or friends. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to end on this note from at Alice in Foodie Land on Instagram. They said, quote, there is no shame in wanting to lose weight. It is your body, your choice. Just remember that your worth and health are not solely defined by numbers on a scale. Health is a practice of self-care and acceptance. Whatever health goals you set, remember to be kind to yourself. End quote. Beautiful. Yeah. So I also just wanted to uh, talk, mention a few different Instagram accounts that I really, really like. There's, I think only one of them's a personal trainer, and it's my good friend Jillian with a J. You can find her on Instagram at Body by Jillian. Oh, she follows our pod on Instagram. Yeah, she's really awesome. I've known her since like middle school. Um, she's very cute. She's Boston-based personal trainer. Um, she has her own sports bras only brand where she promotes um, healthy lifestyle and eating carbs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, so she's awesome. Give her a follow. Um, at V underscore Soulsmith is really awesome. At Black Dot Nutritionist is really great, especially if you are uh, Black, Indigenous, or persons of color. She's really, really cool and talks about eating food that go with your culture and not feeling guilt about not eating kale because collard greens are good enough. So <laughs> I really like her different perspective on it. Um, at the RD Nutritionist, at Jesse Hoffman underscore PhD, at Redefining underscore Wellness, at The Anti-Diet Plan, which is also a book, I'm pretty sure, which I need to read. It's on my list. <laughs> at Nourishing Minds Nutrition. I and follow them. Yeah. And at The Fuck It Diet, which is also a book. And also a lot of these are huge advocates for intuitive eating. So if you want to learn more about that right away, you can go look at any of those. And we'll make sure to add those to our show notes. Yes, definitely. I have them all and I can even, we can even tag them in our Instagram post. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks. Yay. So now that we learned all about Maddie's field that she's in, and about her background, I'm going to tell you a little bit about mine. Yay! Yeah! As I said before, I graduated from the University of New Hampshire in 2018 with a Bachelor of Science in Wildlife and Conservation Biology. And then five days after graduation, I moved up to Vermont for a job. And now I live with my two cats, my tortoise, and my boyfriend. So that is four pets? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Hi, Tyler. Hey. And so I work as a wildlife technician, and we'll get into that later. But this episode, we're mostly going to talk about basic wildlife biology, and I'll wrap it up with some fun nature facts, because those are everybody's favorite thing. Um, Let me just say that Morgan is my personal... (laughs) wildlife and nature encyclopedia (laughs) i text her pictures of random things all the time to the point where it's like my sister will send me things but can you ask morgan what this is (laughs) (laughs) i love it or why this is this way i love it because (laughs) if i don't know i can easily find out (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so you may be asking yourself Morgan, what the heck are wildlife and conservation biology? Well, I can tell you. (laughs) Well, according to this very long-winded explanation by Wikipedia, a wildlife biologist studies animals and their behavior along with the role each animal plays in its natural habitat. 
The duties of a wildlife biologist can include developing and conducting experiments slash studies on animals in their natural habitats, studying the characteristics of animals such as their interaction with different species, their reproductive and movement patterns, the dynamic within a population and transmission of diseases. Wildlife biologists can also play an important role in managing and monitoring population dynamics to preserve a certain species and or their environment. They observe how animals interact with one another as well as how they interact with humans. Some wild, wild <laughs> wildlife <laughs> biologists study the impact of human interference on an ecosystem, which we can probably do some sort of an episode on later. Oh, yeah. Wildlife biologists can work with endangered species, advocate for the preservation of wildlife, resolve issues pertaining to wildlife, and or manage animal populations. So I know that was a lot, but we'll get into some of it. <laughs> and if not, we'll talk about it in another episode. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, for all of our listeners, our most difficult thing is figuring out how much to talk about. And how much detail to go into without boring you. (laughs) We should be really vague and short. Or if we should tell you every single detail about everything. Because I almost taught you a Nutrition 101 course. and Especially for this kind of stuff that we get excited about. (laughs) It's easy to go on a rant. But don't worry, I have another long-winded explanation from Wikipedia of conservation biology. Because that's a little bit different. Conservation biology is the study of the conservation of nature and Earth's biodiversity with the aim of protecting species, their habitats, and ecosystems from excessive rates of extinction and the erosion of biotic interactions. It's an interdisciplinary subject drawing on natural and social sciences as well as the practice of natural resource management. Nice. I think it would probably help if I explained what kind of classes I took in undergrad just to give you an idea of all the different facets of wildlife and conservation biology, because you can really go lots of different directions with it. And there's a lot of different like branches that feed into that one subject. So my first two years were a little bit of a mess (laughs) because (laughs) I switched my major from marine biology to wildlife biology because I don't like cold water (laughs) or working in the lab. But every, so like every other science major, my first two years, I took my gen ed, chemistry and biology classes, all that, as well as some math classes, (laughs) which included a biological stats class, which actually helped a lot later in my academic career. We both had similar beginning college issues where we uh, changed our major and (laughs) everything else. (laughs) And the world changed. kids don't worry about going in undeclared I wish I had oh yeah I went into school 100% sure that I wanted to be a marine biologist and then clearly Um, I'm not a marine biologist so are you aware of what my original major was no it was neuroscience and behavior I was trying to do (laughs) pre-med oh geez (laughs) I can't picture you enjoying that I didn't (laughs) which is why we're here yep So don't be afraid to change your major or go in not knowing 100% what you want to do. It's like, I still have a job in my field and I still don't know what I want to do in the future. Yeah, and I mean, I took five years to graduate and I currently work at a coffee shop. I mean, I'm really happy, but I also am planning on going back. So if you don't know what you want to do, nobody does. (laughs) Everybody has their own path. Yeah, yeah. that's the wonderful thing about life. You can do whatever the heck you want. <laughs> yeah, that's why we have a podcast right now. That's true. That <laughs> nobody is even really listening to, but it's okay. <laughs> Those of you who are, thanks. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> so anyway, once I got into my wildlife coursework, which was pretty much my junior and senior year of college, mm-hmm. I had some classes like dendrology, which is the study of trees, and ornithology, which is the study of birds, that were focused on identifying plants and animals. So also, if you want to know more about those, there's ologies, episodes, 
on both of those and that we can link in the show notes that are really good. I think the ornithology one is two parts. So I had some classes like that where the, that were focused on identifying, just, I mean, getting to know the things in the world around you. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I grew up in a pretty rural area. We moved around a lot, but everywhere we lived was kind of rural. So I had exposure to a lot of wildlife. Like I knew I was able to identify a lot of mammals. Yeah. And I think a lot of people I went to school with were, but I'm sure there are people out there that don't. But the majority of my classes were centered around learning about how ecosystems work and interact with each other, as well as learning how to design projects and then the field methods that were needed to collect data for those projects. As well as I took an environmental policy class, which was interesting and kind of depressing, (laughs) but really important if you want to get anything actually, like if you want to make changes in the field. I was going to say, I know like the health policy classes are always so depressing because it's just like seeing how bad things really are. Right. It's a lot about like the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act, which is great, but I mean, still not enough. <laughs> I don't want to get political, but <laughs> a lot of things at the time when I was taking the class were being redacted. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like learning about stuff that was being taken away. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my public health, my uh, public health class that was on the healthcare system in America. Oh boy. Was during the 2016 election, and one of our projects was actually to write what will happen to healthcare in America if Hillary won or if McDonald Trump won. <laughs> and it was a really sad paper to write. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. To kind of to go along with the environmental policy class, mm-hmm. I took a GIS slash mapping class, which is kind of a form of remote sensing. Which you can get into later, but it's kind of complicated (laughs) and difficult. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Anyway, most of my senior year was spent outside. Like, most of my classes had labs that were entirely outside. Yeah. Which was nice. (laughs) Which was lovely. Even, I mean, rain or shine, we were out there. (laughs) But I got Mm. to do a lot of really cool stuff. Like, we went electrofishing for one of my classes and... Um, we got to a bear den. I got to hold a baby bear cub. I'm so jealous of that. <laughs> All sorts of stuff that I wouldn't have been able to do in other field, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also how I found out about the agency that I currently work for, which obviously worked out because I've been there for two and a half years now. So, <laughs> yeah. How did you get interested in wildlife? <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> For as long as I can remember, I've been an outside kid. <laughs> I was fortunate. Yep. I was fortunate <laughs> enough to grow up hiking, biking, fishing, going on nature walks, and playing outside. But it wasn't until my sophomore year of college and I was looking to switch my major that I even realized that my love for the outdoors and interest in local flora and fauna could translate into a career. Like I had no I had no idea. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting because, like, I've met, I had met people in the field, but it never occurred to me that I could get a degree in something yeah. like wildlife and conservation biology and then turn up. always just career. kind of assume that those people, like, somehow end up there. Right. <laughs> Which is totally not how it works. No. <laughs> so now we can get more into the career aspect of things. I know I'm not covering a ton of, like, the like concepts of wildlife biology but I feel like that first explanation did a pretty good job of um, explaining how many different facets there are of the field yeah like if I were to get into every single one of those would be here for hours (laughs) and I know we don't want that so we'll have don't worry we'll have another wildlife episode but I just thought it would be good to kind of give you the rundown of the basics and then what you can do in this field also i think if anybody has like wildlife or nature questions feel free to email them to us or dm us on social media and when morgan does do this 
wildlife episode, she can answer all those questions. Yeah, we can do a Q and A. Yeah, so that'd be really fun. Hit us up with questions, please. Hit us up. I'm always on our social media, so I'll yeah. answer. <laughs> all right, now we can get into my job. I can't Yay. really get into too many specifics because my agency's kind of strict about um, <laughs> sharing. But I kept it kind of general, and you'll see. I'll read what I have. <laughs> yeah. So, Morgan, what do you do for a job? <laughs> I work as a wildlife technician for a government agency. I've been in this job for about two and a half years, but during that time, I've worked on a bunch of different projects. So, notably, I was hired to work on a turtle, an endangered turtle protection project in Vermont, and... That was mostly during the summer, so in the off-season, I got to do a bunch of other other stuff that I never thought I'd be able to do. Like, for example, last year, I got to fly in a Black Hawk helicopter through the mountains to do a site visit. Yep. <laughs> yep, in peak foliage, which was awesome. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. And so now I work at an airport with a, with a full-time biologist mitigating wildlife hazards for the safety of aircraft because obviously animal plus plane is bad news yes (laughs) for everybody involved oh yeah so pretty much i'm tasked with keeping critters off the airfield whether that's birds or mammals usually it's birds mammals pretty much come out at night but my favorite part of this job though is that i get to capture and relocate raptors not velociraptors maddie (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking (laughs) Hawks, falcons, owls, your birds of prey. Yeah, throw back to that time that I texted you about velociraptors. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, like any job, there's data entry and computer work and all that stuff. But that's not nearly as fun to talk about. So I won't get into that. But I can maybe include a bird picture on our (laughs) Instagram post, too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's tons of different career choices in this field which you wouldn't expect it's like a mixed bag it's it's a whole new world (laughs) so i'll list off some obviously there's more and there's different versions of these jobs that you can do and a lot of these are either like you can you'll find this pretty much the same positions whether it's through an ngo a non-government agency, like a non-profit, or through a state or federal agency, even some local um, governments, like town governments, have wildlife people or animal control people. I know there's a conservation people in my town. Yeah. Most towns do have one, especially bigger towns or counties, if it's a small town. Especially just, like, the county I live in is essentially just mush, so... Right. (laughs) So you could be an aquatic biologist, a fish and wildlife biologist, or a fisheries biologist, or just a wildlife biologist. Uh, Conservation resources management biologist, which is, that's probably what your town has. They kind of, they're usually a natural resources manager. Uh, Fisheries biologist, oh wait, I already said that. Habitat biologist, a wildlife manager, which helps try and manage wildlife populations in your area. A zoologist, which typically a zoologist would have a zoology um, degree, but yeah, I mean, it's all kind of, the lines are blurred. So (laughs) you could be a habitat consultant, which is basically when people hire you to come to their property and help them manage their property best for wildlife. You could be a researcher through a university, a wildlife rehabilitator, a game warden or conservation officer. So you would enforce the state wildlife laws or rules and regulations. You can also do that federally, but there's less. Like every state has a fisheries and wildlife program, but federally not not every state has a law enforcement sector. So, gotcha. Yep. And you can also do wildlife outreach or be an educator through like a nature center or something like that. All right. Now it's fun fact time. Yay. 
I have two sections of fun facts. The first section is like <laughs> important things that you should know <laughs> from your friendly wildlife personnel that are like my pet peeves kind of when I hear people talking about this stuff. I have to hold yes. my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number one is do not feed wildlife. It disrupts the yeah. ecosystem by creating an additional food source. Not to mention, it's way more likely to create human-wildlife conflict. I know there, I know your animals in your backyard are adorable, but they <laughs> spread disease and they cause problems, and it's not worth it. Just set up a game camera, get some binoculars, look at them from afar. Yeah. I had this guy tell me I encounter people sometimes <laughs> in my job that like to tell me stories about the animals in their backyard, which is fine. I enjoy it. But I had this guy tell me how he feeds the raccoons in his backyard cereal every night. Oh. So he has like a colony of raccoons behind his house. Yeah. I was like, that sounds like a rabies disaster waiting to happen. (laughs) Are bird feeders okay? Bird feeders are okay, but... When in the spring, we mm. always suggest that people take down their bird feeders. Yeah, for a while because, because like squirrels and stuff. Squirrel, well, specifically because bears love them. So state agencies and federal federal agencies get a lot of calls, and pest people get a lot of calls about bears in the spring, coming out of their quote unquote hibernation, which we'll get into later. But. Um, yeah. And just tearing down bird feeders. <laughs> but we put out PSAs. State <laughs> and federal agencies put out PSAs. Take down your bird feeder if you want to keep it. <laughs> because, okay, good to know. Because then, especially if they have them like on their back deck, then you have oh, like, yeah. a big old bear standing on your back deck. Yeah. So I should have prefaced this by saying I work in New England, so my perspective might be a little bit different than people that work in other kinds other parts of the country but yeah it's all pretty much like don't feed wildlife don't touch it (laughs) (laughs) don't touch yeah that's my next my next point is please don't touch it (laughs) if you have concerns about something that you find in your yard or whatever leave it alone don't feed it don't pick it up don't touch it and call your local either Fish and Wildlife Agency or if you know the number of a wildlife rehabber, you can call them. But chances are, if you call your local Fish and Wildlife Agency, they can refer you to somebody. Yeah. But like I said, disease. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And chances are, like like the whole fawn thing in the spring, chances Mm -hmm. are, if it's a baby, the parent is nearby. So if you take their yeah. baby, then you're not helping anybody. <laughs> I think that's, like, the biggest thing that, like, even I know is, like, don't touch it. They're probably going to get it food. Like, <laughs> Right. Don't touch. Even if it does need help, call, some, call a professional and they can take care of it. All right. Next is habitat loss is the number one factor that causes extinction of species. Hmm. So I'm a huge proponent of not mowing your lawn (laughs) or only mowing a piece of your lawn and creating kind of a pollinator garden type situation. But I mean, to each his own. Some people like their, and like people that have HOAs have to keep their lawns Mm -hmm. within a certain specification. But if you can, it's always nice to either plant a pollinator garden or let part of your yard go or even plant a food garden That's a good option for a lot of animals. And next we have a common misconception. (laughs) Logging and sustainable forestry are actually good for your wildlife. They create (laughs) heterogeneity within the ecosystem, basically creating a wider variety of habitats which accommodate a wider variety of species, which increases the biodiversity in the area. So we'll probably, we might get into forestry later, 
Possibly. We should at least cover the forestry museum that we visited. Oh my gosh, yeah. That was awesome. We'll have to post a picture because some of those pictures from there are really fun. And uh, some of them are just really funny because it's like bad pictures of us in a fake water raft. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I forgot about those. (laughs) If you are ever, I mean, I doubt that we have listeners from the Portland, Oregon area, but if we do (laughs) and you haven't been to the uh, Forestry Museum, it's amazing. You should go. Oh, yeah. I learned a lot. Next to the zoo and in, like, the rose garden. and (laughs) Indeed. There's so many things connected to it. So even if you don't love forestry, it's pretty sure it was, like, wicked cheap to get in. And it was really interesting. So, yeah. So basically going along with that, I know, like, people are all in New England anyway. A lot of people are opposed to logging mm-hmm. and sustainable forestry because they think that it's taking away habitat from all the wildlife. But in reality, it's increasing their chances of survival by creating different types of habitat and increasing biodiversity. Plus, then it also, when it grows back up, it also increases the biodiversity of the plants that are able to grow there. True. So, Yeah. That's a fun fact. <laughs> Don't hate your loggers. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not talking about like going in and cutting down every tree in the yes. state. <laughs> Morgan isn't supporting deforestation. No, I'm not supporting <laughs> cutting down the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> but in a lot of areas, logging and sustainable forestry are really good for the environment. Yes. All right. Here are some more fun facts. These are like the actual fun facts not the like lecture (laughs) facts (laughs) so did you know that bears don't actually hibernate no (laughs) (laughs) they go into a deep state of sleep called torpor in which they lower their metabolism but they can't be considered true hibernators because they don't experience a huge drop in body temperature and they do wake up periodically through the winter so they can't be counted as true hibernators The next fun fact is owls don't have eyeballs. No. They have eye tubes. (laughs) No. (laughs) And that's what allows them to turn their heads around like 270 degrees. No. Because their eyeballs don't stop them because they have eye tubes, so they're flexible. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to give you that visual, but... (laughs) Oh. Next, cows kill more people every year than sharks do. I think I knew that one. Sharks kill approximately four people a year, and cows kill approximately 22 people a year. So, guys, Uh be careful. Yeah, be careful out there with cows. My favorite, but they'll get you. (laughs) They'll get you. (laughs) Pandas spend about half of their day eating. Same. So, same. Um, about a million people die every year from mosquito bite-related illnesses, which is insane. <laughs> Dolphins can I recognize mean. each other's voices. Cute. And crows can recognize human faces. Okay, so is... uh, be nice to crows. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> they did... Um, there is, in the Cor- Corvid Thanatology episode of Ologies, they talk about this, but there is a study in which they, people wore human masks, which is creepy, but <laughs> um, <laughs> to see if the crows would recognize the same people year by year, and they did. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I have a ton more where these came from, but after two long, two very long episodes, I'll spare you. Stay tuned every Monday for a new episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Or on Instagram at Monday Mornings Pod, on Twitter at Monday Mornings P, and we have a Facebook page. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to have covered in a future episode, you can also email us at mondaymorningspod at gmail.com. And you should also rate 
and review us. On yes, rate and review. <laughs> Please. <laughs> it makes it so that people are more likely to see our podcast which we keep forgetting to tell you guys that at the end yeah, of the episode so do that. it would mean a lot um but don't forget to start your monday mornings the right way with maddie and morgan duh duh <laughs> <laughs> bye